Bonjour, I'm Terrence Galenko, your American friend in Paris, coming to you almost live and almost every week from Café Terrence in Paris's Poison de Montespan. This program is being sponsored by a generous contribution from the Billy Cone Collection. Bonjour, Eric, Diane, and uh, the new member of the family, Skippy, who's apparently asleep and can't uh, bark at us just yet. But if we're lucky, some at some point during the uh, the broadcast, he will he will speak to us. Anyway, bonjour, and how was it down there in Montflacan today? Hi, Terrence. Uh, good to hear your voice. It's absolutely beautiful. Wonderful. Uh, sunny. It's a little bit windy. And, and you have uh, rooms available if somebody wants to come down uh, today or tomorrow or sometime soon. Indeed. Indeed, we have uh, plenty of space. If anybody wants to come and uh, get away from uh, wherever they are, they are welcome here. Wonderful. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, for those who, uh, who are regular readers of, of my newsletters, uh, know that uh, we've been there quite often, at least twice a year since you've opened, which I believe was, what, six years now? 2014, yeah, we are yeah. in year number seven now. We oh, start okay. year seven. Because I, I know Monica and I were one, I guess we were the first people to sleep there in the, uh, the Saint Charles suite. So if anybody wants to go there, you can, you can say that you slept in the same room that Terrence did. Not quite, <laughs> not quite like George Washington, but at some point perhaps uh, that would work out. Uh, I want to go back. I want to go back. I'm sorry. Something, yeah. I want to go back to the very beginning because uh, uh, we could actually call this uh, Chateau d'Amour. Because this is a uh, this is a love story and a dream, and and the dream began um, in Appleton, Wisconsin, home of the uh, Harry Houdini Museum, and uh, Rocky Blyer, the All-American uh, running back at Notre Dame and four-time Super Bowl winner with the Pittsburgh Steelers, and in uh, in Eric's case, uh, Belgium, uh, famous for mussels and beer, and um, unfortunately, chocolate. I'm sorry, chocolate. Oh, oh, I forget the Belgian chocolates. Yes, 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 yes. And unfortunately, the butt of the jokes that we've unfor uh, unfortunately also always uh, used uh, for people from Poland in America. But all that being said, let's go back to the beginning. So how did the two of you come together? Well, um, gosh, it's going back a little while now. Well, your long-term memory should be good, Diane. Actually, before we... Yeah, the long-term memory is still working, luckily. Well, we met when we were both working for the same uh, company. We were in the petrochemical industry way back in a different life. And um, I was actually working in Richmond, Virginia, and Eric was um, transferred to the Belgian office of the same company, same department. We were in procurement at the time. And, um, well, we were assigned to work on a, on a project together. So that's kind of how we met. And after that, several years later, um, Eric made his way over to Richmond uh, with the job transfer. And uh, so that's how it started. And when did, when did you, uh, you both come to Paris? Well, that was in 2005. Yeah, in 2005. By then, we had actually left the petrochemical um, company we worked together for in Richmond, Virginia, and I actually got a job together at the water-based uh, company, which was called Malco at the time. It's Ecolab today for whoever is in this uh, field. And um, 
Uh, we, we worked uh, several years for that company around Chicago, and uh, in 2005, I got the job opportunity, a transfer to Paris with um, what was known at the time as Suez, which later merged with Gaz de France GDF, became known as GDF Suez, and more recently changed the name to Engie. It's a big utility. So in 2005, a job opportunity for me came in Paris, and uh, it took us a very few seconds to decide to take it. Uh, it meant leaving the petrochemical uh, company we were working for. It meant leaving the, the job for Diane also. For me, it was kind of easy. I arrive in Paris, I have a new job. Um, everything is, 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 is fine, but Diane was... Um, they're following me, thinking, okay, I'll, I'll find a job too. Uh, but instead, and I'll pass uh, the mic back to Diane, uh, she decided to go to culinary school instead. At the time, you were living in concubinage or you were legally married? I love the word concubinage. <laughs> no, we, we were married, and in fact, uh, it's kind of ironic because we got married in 2002, so three years before mm. we moved to Paris. And... Um, I don't know how many years before we came here. We actually had a destination wedding, and we got married in the south of France, and we rented out a chateau, and we had a small, intimate wedding. And here we are doing that very thing today at our place. That, that, was, my, that was my thought, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So. And, and you actually, you're, in the, you're not in the petrochemical business anymore, but you're in the chemical business since you're preparing food, and chemistry has a lot to do with it. Well, I have to say that um, I take a little bit of a scientific approach sometimes to what I do, and Eric also. He Sometimes he's with me in the kitchen, and together we put our heads together and figure things out when we need to, <laughs> you know, temperature-related or what have you. So, yeah. So were you, you, you taking classes at Ferrandi, but were you, were you at Grandma's Knee back in uh, Appleton or northern, uh, northern Illinois as a child? learning? Well, um, you know, I, I learned a lot from my mom, my grandparents, my mom's parents um, had a bakery business in Appleton. Um, so we kind of grew up around the sweets. Um, I grew up in the Chicago area, the northwest suburbs, mm -hmm. and we would go up and visit my grandparents and the family all up there often. And But my mom was a very um, adventurous cook, I would say, and she was always trying out new things. Uh, that, that was her thing, whether it was cooking or, you know, decorating or any ideas. She was always willing to try something new. So anyway, um, I think that had a big influence. And then the other influence, I would say, is meeting Eric because um, he introduced me to a lot of European cuisine. And, um, you know, I had some of my first foie gras and sauterne wine with him. He brought it over to the States when he was traveling uh, while he was still living in Europe. And and introduced me to a raclette and brought a raclette machine over and transferred, you know, the 220 volt into 110 and, you know. Yeah, I know. He's a, he's a bit of a scientist, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, engineer, he would say. Yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> and, and so uh, talk about, uh, the, I guess, the selection of Ferrandi. I'm sorry, what's the question? Uh, talk about the, uh, about the uh, selection of uh, Ferrandi as opposed to Cordon Bleu. Uh, and, uh, you know, what that experience is like, what you learned there that you've been able to take, uh, take forward in your career as a chef. Well, um, you know, I, I would say learning is a personal process and, and we can learn e anywhere. And you, you don't even have to go to culinary school to learn. 
Um, it helps facilitate things, that's for sure. Um, I chose Ferrandi because uh, I felt the most comfortable there. I had a be the best understanding of what I was getting myself into um, as far as the number of hours, what the process was, um, what you know the program was and all that. So, um, so that's how I chose Ferrandi. And I learned uh, the, the basic skills um, the first year that I was there. Um, and I learned a lot of the discipline of cooking because cooking isn't just you know getting the plate to the table and plating it. It's it's all that other stuff that that comes before that's so important. And so um, so I learned that in the first year as far as the basic skills, and then I decided I wanted to continue improving my skills in the kitchen. So I continued on with more advanced coursework, um, and I did that for uh, about another year or so. And in that the second program, it was more about um, developing recipes and learning more, more in depth about other products and putting it together, and then the whole process of, you know, running a, a service because it was it was a weekly thing. So, well, and then you were doing uh, pr private catering. Uh, I know there was a period of time when uh, you you and I had worked together with Eric, and uh, did something called uh, Rendezvous Dimanche where we'd invite about 30 people to your apartment for a, a meal, and generally uh, with a featured speaker like Alan Riding or Diane Johnson or Mort Rosenblum, an opportunity to uh, schmooze and, and learn and, uh, and participate in a, in a wonderful meal. Yeah, th those are great memories. I'm so glad we did that. Um, you know, we were, uh, back then, uh, I had decided I didn't really want to work in a restaurant environment and was um, wanting to do more entrepreneurial things like private chef. And, and so, yeah, we were hosting things at our apartment. And, and we found at that point that we really enjoyed it. So, you know, we kind of enjoyed that, that niche. Um, so that's, I guess, the beginning of it. Uh, yeah, no, it was, it was great. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it was it was fun time. I was still working at uh, NG at the time, mm -hmm. NGFCUS as it was called. Um, so yeah, my my job, uh, Diane was doing all sort of things, and uh, she went actually to that uh, Ferrandi uh, school, uh, culinary school, which is um, uh, which is actually Ecole Supérieure de Cuisine Française. One thing that Diane didn't mention in her selection process for a culinary school is that this school is actually fairly very well recognized in France for training French chefs. So a lot of uh, great chefs in France have been through that school. Now, Ferrandi is actually a, a much wider school than just culinary. They have also other programs in bakery, in masonry, in uh, tapestry, etc. So it's a basically handwork type of uh, studying in that uh, huge complex. Yeah, and when things, when things get back to somewhat normal, they also have a, a, a luncheon program where uh, people like Diane, who are working at the school, uh, prepare what are ultimately be classified as a Michelin-starred meal for a, a fraction of the cost. So I've, I've been there for lunch. So those of you who are listening or coming to France yeah, anytime yeah, soon, wonderful. Yeah, it's over. It's over in the sixth yeah. arrondissement, just off the Rue du Cherche Midi, and uh, it it's fun. It's, and you'll see, uh, perhaps you'll see someone like Diane uh, in the embryonic stage before she went on to become a, uh, a Michelin-caliber uh, chef. Anyway, uh, also at that point, as I recall, Eric, you would hop on your motorcycle, put on your helmet, because we are safety conscious here in France, and uh, drive to Bordeaux, where you entered in, you, into the, uh, uh, the wine college. 
because you know we associate Belgians with beer, but who knew? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this was actually a process for uh, 2005, the transfer from the U.S. to Paris. Fine. Um, Diane goes to culinary school. Okay, she she gets into a, a first year program and then up onto a second year program, and by now we are in 2007. Um, 2008, and Diane decides to, as she mentioned, not to go and work in a restaurant, but uh, create her own company. And she created a time Paris cooking company, doing private uh, uh, chef service, uh, doing or hosting uh, dinners, lunch, whatnot. At our place, we had a, a nice apartment, I must say, in the first arrondissement, Rue du Louvre. And uh, that's where uh, we met you, of course, uh, uh, also Terence, and you and Diane organized those rendezvous dimanche. I was there in the background, you know, I was a guy working, but coming back at home at nine, enjoying very good food all the time. And then, of course, I was participating in those rendezvous dimanche. Um, it was fun. So we, we knew that we, um, we met in a work environment. So we worked uh, together and we actually met working together on the same uh, project at the t way back then in the 90s. So we knew already that we liked working together, uh, uh, which is uh, essential. I, I make one, one correction. The idea. Hey, so one correction yeah. to that story. That's where you and I met. But Diane and I met at the uh, at the Memorad Cafe uh, uh, in uh, in the sixth. Uh, I happened to be sitting next to her, and she was chatting with a friend, and they were talking about food. And I turned and I remarked. I said, "Are, are, are you a chef?" And uh, I introduced myself. I'm I'm Terence Galanter. And she, ah, my friend said I should talk to you. So small world. <laughs> that was so, absolutely. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's a funny. Here we are. How many years later? Uh, 12, 13 years later, and. You know, and, and working together. So let's talk about the dream, or uh, somewhat in, insane. You decide to uh, to buy a, a, a chateau somewhere in rural France and, and go into the uh, into the lodging and the hospitality business. So what uh, you know, with all of your training uh, as a procurement officer at, at a major corporation, what gave you the idea to do something so unlikely to be successful? Which, thank God, it is. I'll pass it to you, Eric. <laughs> yeah, but don't forget to mention that you did going to Bordeaux on your motorcycle yeah. was about. Yeah, let, let's let's go back. So <laughs> we had those. Yeah, I was uh, vice president of purchasing for uh, GDF Suez. Uh, it was definitely a full-time job, and even more than that. Um, but we start towing with the ideas. Hey, we don't have to work together. Why don't we? Diana has jumped and created her own company, Paris Cooking Company. Why, why don't we do this together? And then you know you need to leave those ideas uh, fester and, and grow basically. And then at some point you have to uh, walk the talk, I would say. Um, and it's nice to have dreams, but it's even nicer when you can actually realize some of them. And here it was really on that path, I would say. And if if so we decided, okay, we'll do something together. What is it? Well, we involving gastronomy, cooking. We knew it. We wanted to get out of a big city, so we were more looking at the countryside. Even though we love Paris. Uh, we love Paris, and we would always be yeah. found and go back to Paris, but we wanted to have, I guess, a bit more space. Uh, and um, the, the other thing, Diane had gone back to school to, um, to uh, transform what was just a passion or a hobby cooking into, hey, uh, from, from a hobby to do it as a profession, there is a step that you need to, 
to fill, to, to pass. So for me, it was like, okay, what can I do? And uh, of course, enology, wine, I always like good wine. So attending a, a training, a uh, formal training in, uh, in enology, in wine studying, came kind of naturally. And I registered myself in 2011 in uh, what um, was and still is called the DUI. Diplôme Universitaire d'Initiation à l'Oenologie. It's a six-month program, um, one week per month, um, and um, uh, uh, given by the, the Institut Supérieur de la Vigne et du Vin de l'Université de Bordeaux. I said all that in French, but basically there is no surprise. You went to wine school. Uh -huh. A wine school at the University of Bordeaux. So I did that, and that was the motorcycle trip all the way from Paris to Bordeaux uh, once a month for a week, yes. And I completed my degree in 2012, I somehow we, we shook hand with my employer. Everything went very well, thanks thanks to all parties involved. And we start now. Okay, let's grab the bull by the horn. Let's start really looking. And we really start looking in 2012-13. And it materialized in when eventually we found this place here, Chateau La in 2013. By the time you sign things, etc., we were beginning in 2014, and we arrived here in March, uh, in March 1st, 2014, for the great adventure of mixing hospitality, gastronomy, wine, oenology. And, and, and making a living at it. <laughs> yeah, trying to, yeah. We were, we were so what, what, what were you looking for, uh, and what was it about Chateau Lados uh, that appealed to you? Well, um, it needed to fit our project, basically. Our project was um, we wanted to continue with um, food and wine, so um, private dinners, chef a domicile, um, private chef services, cooking lessons, uh, wine atelier, wine workshops. And then coming here, we added the whole bed and breakfast part of it, which was new to us, even though we had hosted a lot in, in Paris. And frankly, before we moved to Paris, we were always hosting things at our home. Um, anyway, so the situation needed to be right. Um, we were looking for something that had charm. We didn't, we didn't at all have a plan to look for a chateau. We looked at all sorts of different properties. But, um, you know, this was a, a coup de coeur, as they say, mm -hmm. um, love at first sight or whatever. Um, when we drove up to this property, we were smitten by it. And then as we visited it, it ticked off a lot of the boxes, you know, that, that we had. So um, that's, I mean, after you look at enough properties, you can start to quickly assess, you know, what will work and what won't work. Yeah, it's like looking at future, future husbands. Uh, you, you, you kiss a lot of frogs en route to Eric. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I didn't mean that in the uh, pejorative way, speaking of French people, but actual frogs that was the grenouille. <laughs> well, you know, I'm an engineer, so so uh, the process of looking for a house, uh, Chateau was not even on our radar. We wanted, we had two criteria, um, space and charm, basically. And uh, we went, and you know, I'm an engineer, so I still have a spreadsheet uh, somewhere, an Excel spreadsheet. We visited over 80 properties, and um, I, 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 I put a line for every property with square meters, yada, 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 et cetera. 
but eventually, yes, it took us about um, uh, 10 months to find the, the, the dream property Chateau Radeau, and it happened to be a chateau. But it required, uh, it required uh, some work, and we did, we've done the work, but we were able to open basically for business as early as June of 2014. Mm -hmm. I, I remember being there. And uh, I, I must say, uh, for those who have been or for those who have not been, uh, the work has been uh, remarkable. Uh, I've always said that the, the, the rooms, the, the cotton count on the sheets, the, uh, the elegant way in which it, it, has been, it has been decorated, I mean, the only reason you don't have a chateau status is that you're a, a, a family business. You don't have 38 people running around. But uh, the quality of the food, the quality of the, uh, of the decor, the quality of that uh, stuff you brew that we drink late at night, which you can talk about in a second, that uh, will knock you on your keister, uh, are all just wonderful uh, qualities that en enhance the charm. And as I've always said, uh, the two of you uh, bring a, a warmth and a, and a cordiality to the experience that, uh, you know, we've had people come back three and four times to stay with us, us when I come along, for a week uh, with uh, fundamentally the same, uh, not the same menu, but the same activities. Uh, and I just you know, fall in love with being there and it's so relaxing. But let's go back to, uh, once again, to the very beginning and the state of, <laughs> the, state of, the, of the chateau when you arrived and, and what you, how you went about it. Uh, was there a formal plan that uh, how these rooms are going to look or was it, did you find things in the uh, brocante and the, uh, the Marché de Pousse? Well, I'll, I'll tackle that one. Um, one of the criteria we had was um, we didn't want to necessarily go through a whole renovation project. We saw some properties that uh, were so uh, decrepit it would take years to renovate. So, you know, we had a good bone structure, I would say, coming in. So um, we had three suites um, that could be used. The kitchen was big. It was fine. We retrofitted a few things. But basically, we were kind of good to go. That was the plan. However, we all know plans <laughs> don't always go <laughs> according to <The> plan. plan. <laughs> so we found a few surprises after all, all of the belongings were moved out from the prior owner. And, and we were having architects come in to try to add two new suites because we wanted five uh, total. That's the legal limit you can have here in France for bed and breakfast. And um, they were pointing out some structural problems. And um, I guess to make a very long story short, that led to a full renovation project in 2016 from head to toe in the old chateau building. And um, it was at that point that um, because everything was being redone, um, that was the point to do repaint the walls, get the decorating, all of the lighting, blah, blah, blah. And so it was a huge project. Um, in hindsight, uh, I don't know that I would call it fun, but it was kind of fun. <laughs> because it was, there was a lot of stress related to any renovation, as you know. So, um, but we, had, we worked with a good builder, uh, good people. Um, there's a, a family-run manufacturer um, in Montignac in the front that we worked with on the furnishings and, and helping us with the decorating. So that's how we got to where we're at. And, and um, I, I, what was there something ab about the, uh, you know, I always refer to, the, we say the Lot de Garonne, a lot of people don't know. You're 
kind of anchored between the Dordogne and the, and the Perigord. Was there something particular about that region that appealed to you? I suspect you looked at, in other areas as well prior to making a decision. Mm. Well, um, the, when we decided to go on and, and, and go on that adventure and, and work together on a project like this one, the only criteria we had was, A, we stay in France, because we could have done this anywhere, Belgium or the US or, I don't know, Portugal. Mm -hmm. So no, we decided we stay in France, and two, south of Paris. But south of Paris is still a big jungle. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, so we, we started uh, visiting property in 2013, and uh, eventually we kind of quickly narrowed it down to the Bordeaux area. Remember what Diane said earlier, we actually got more in the southwest of France, and we love the southwest of France. And I, then I studied, I had my, uh, my uh, Diplôme Universitaire d'Initiation à l'Onologie at the University of Bordeaux. I love Bordeaux, and anybody who has not seen Bordeaux, please, go and visit Bordeaux, pass a weekend there. It's a beautiful city. It's really worthwhile. So anyway, so we start looking at properties um, uh, around Bordeaux. But, uh, you know, first of all, you can only go east. If you go west, you're quickly in the water. So you need to get a boat or something. <laughs> but so, and, and that's how we are basically here, uh, two hours uh, from Bordeaux, uh, east of Bordeaux, slightly north also. And uh, the Lot de Garonne, yeah, it's a rural department, not so known for tourism. It's significantly less known than the Dordogne, which is just north of us. It's, and Dordogne has been embarking on uh, tourism much earlier than the Lot de Garonne or the department of the Lot. But we're very close to the Dordogne. But we're very close. Now we can walk to Dordogne from here. It would take about uh, three, three hours to walk and, and uh, 15, 20 minutes by car. So we're in this, the north side of the Lot-et-Garonne Lot and basically uh, very close to the Dordogne. It's a beautiful region, the southwest of France. A lot of history, a lot of um, uh, history. Prehistory. Pre Sorry? Prehistory. Oh, yeah, also, yeah. The, for if you can actually go back all the way to Lascaux, it's not far. Lascaux, the, the Vallée de la Vézère, which is the... La Vallée de l'Homme, as it is called in, in sometime or referred to in, in French. That's where Cro-Magnon uh, was uh, discovered. That's where a lot of cave artworks, etc. And this is in the Dordogne. Well, you know, it opens up another... Hour and a half from here. Opens up another area for discussion because uh, when people are planning to come uh, to, to the region, and particularly if they stay with you, and if they stay with you on the the week-long programs that you and I have put together, uh, which includes a day with Martin Walker at his home in Madug, uh, you learn that when Eric drives you from point A to point B, it's a history lesson. And I don't know how much you knew before you came there, but uh, I certainly now know what a Bastide is after about 14 visits. Um, and so not only did you uh, educate yourself in history, and I must say, uh, you know, as a teacher, you make it... Uh, it's not difficult. It's very easy to, to drive around with you and be, uh, as you look look left quickly and then back to the road to uh, inform us about what has gone on. And also it, in the evenings when we sit down and we have uh, a lot of undiscovered wines, really wonderful wines that, uh, since you're not that far from Bordeaux, you get a little bit of the terroir without that uh, terrible uh, expense. But were you that, were you always a history maven? Was it always something that fascinated you? Yes, I must say yes. I'm an engineer by trade, um, 
and I will always be an engineer, so there will always be an Excel spreadsheet not far away from my fingers. But I love history. I love, uh, I mean, for me, uh, the, the best uh, Romans are actually looking into history, what happened where. Now, of course, I, didn't, I wasn't a specialist at all, and I'm still not by all means of the history of the southwest of France. I've been learning as we go, I've been being here. So, yes, I love, I love history. But Eric studies and reads quite a lot, so, yeah. No, it, it's, it's a wonderful experience. And if, uh, Daniel, I want to talk a little bit about the operation of the uh, of the D&D and, and your participation in it. First of all, you know, uh, we, we generally when we arrive in our in our program, it's late in the afternoon, and uh, Eric will select something that sparkles. I mean, it might be a vouvray with a certain amount of natural pétillant. Uh, uh, prior to sitting down and having a meal, influenced by what what's going on in the area. Uh, talk about how uh, how you think about that and prepare that for, uh, let's say, a group like ours that that stay for a week. Uh, what goes into your thinking in terms of constructing a menu, and obviously in conversation with Eric to find the appropriate wines to accompany it. So why don't we start? Uh, we've had our we arrive, we've had our aperitif, had our shower. Now we're down into the dining room or outside, weather permitting, for a meal. What might that first night's meal be? Well, um, I always kind of think the first night and the last night um, are more celebratory, so I try to do something a little bit more elaborate. Um, so uh, it depends on the time of year, if it's spring or fall, and what's at the market, what's available. But, um, you know, uh, the first night people have come, they've traveled, um, so probably something a little bit more consistent and because we are in the southwest of France, um, it could very well include um, an entree of uh, foie gras uh, and the main course with maybe uh, a magre de canard, which is duck uh, duck breast. Um, and then we always do an apparel before dinner starts. And um, so I like to serve little finger foods just to kick things off because it's festive and fun. And um, I usually do a, um, a little bit more elaborate dessert, and then we throw in a cheese course before dessert. So um, anyway, so that's that's usually what I'm thinking. And then as the week progresses, if you're going, if the group is going out to a lunch and they're having a bigger lunch, well, that's going to influence what we do for dinner. So I'll do something a little bit lighter, or you know, definitely understand what what everyone is doing. Um, for the other meals so that we don't repeat and we don't, you know, overload people because, you know, we don't want that to happen either. But well, you've both the right balance of flavors. And, yeah. You've both been with us to Martin Walker's uh, home in, in Le Bourg on Market Day uh, Tuesday. And after that uh, round of eating and drinking and drinking and drinking and eating, uh, probably a, an omelet or a, a piece of fruit would almost be adequate, although you do go uh, a, a little further along than that. But uh, right. yeah, that exactly. And Eric, when, uh, that that uh, that fantasy meal that we just described, what would you be serving with that, for example? Well, we are in the southwest. We're in the department of the Lot de Garonne. The Lot de Garonne is not particularly known for for its wine, although it has some wines. Um, uh, but the Lot de Garonne is more known uh, for the. Plums, <laughs> which makes the, the prune en français, pruneau, but the dry plum is a pruneau or a prune. Uh, and Agen, which is the capital of the Lot de Garonne, pruneau d'Agen, uh, about everybody in the world know, uh, uh, knows what that is. Well, in France, 
which is uh, plum brandy. Which is a plum brandy, yeah. Uh, and uh, we, we have done our own production of that because you can collect plum so easily. You're swimming in plum. You don't know what to do with plum. When Eric, I think, pr I think production, production is an engineering term. Uh, it's, small, it's, a, it's a small batch, shall we say. <laughs> yes, you're right. <laughs> but it's still a product. <laughs> Technically. Okay, so take it. Take us through the process of making it. Well, the, you, you simply put, uh, you collect uh, plums, you put them in a big vat, 200 liters or, 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 or whatever vat you have. You add a little bit of water at the beginning and then you forget about it for, for several months, easily from, uh, um, from September when you collect them all the way to March, April. But don't you stir it from time to time? And you stir it from time to time with a shovel or whatever, you, but <laughs> you do very little. You just let the thing ferment, and you will see it ferment, uh, and, um, and then you have kind of a liquid in there that, is, uh, that contains the alcohol and water. And all you need to do after that, I'll make it very quick and simple here, is to distill, because I, oh, distill, distill. I cannot distill myself. It's illegal. Uh, to run a, a, a still, but you can go to what is called the Bouilleur de Cru. They have the license for distillation. You bring it to them, or you, they come at your property and distill for you. Uh, and uh, you uh, collect your few liters of um, distilled plum uh, brandy, basically. So that's step number one. Now you have a very clear liquid. You typically dilute it back to 40 or 45 degrees alcohol. And then you can add plum back in either the fresh fruit or your pruneau, which is dried plum. And then you put it in a bottle and uh, you put it in your cellar and you forget it for X years and it will start giving a color to the alcohol and they will also give a taste, a certain sweetness because the food is only um, sugar, no alcohol in it when you dip it into the alcohol. And now the longer you wait, the best the result. Sure, <laughs> that's what we have been drinking, um, uh, Terence here in the early years we were doing this. We were drinking this brandy that had been made. We don't know exactly when it was made. All we know is that the lady who made it died in 1988. No, not, from, not from drinking it. Let's be no, very no. clear on that. No, no, not at all. <laughs> not at all. And I recovered some inventory uh, because if you go to and you start knowing people, you have some people, they have that production there, including some wine. They cannot, uh, for whatever reason, typically it's their local doctor that tells them not to. But anyway, and um, I can uh, buy back uh, old sellers and things like that. And uh, that's why I have all sort of very old bottles, including uh, white wine, red wine, and brandies in the cellar. This 1949 uh, Montbazillac we drank comes from... Uh, from a, a cellar like that, the owner wanted to throw it away because it had lost half its volume. It was only half full. Says, no, 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 let me try that. And I'm so glad I did that because wow. it was so good. And that was a sweet wine, so it can last. Of course, if you have um, an old red wine, that could be, I have some red wine from the 70s, 80s. Those are not good. Most of them are not good. The only reason I have them is because I'm running wine workshops. And it's good to for purely, purely uh, teaching reasons or, or learning reasons, 
make people taste what it is when you went too far with a white wine, with a red wine, uh, and the aging process, what it is, and when is it too far? Well, uh, just uh, a, a few final thoughts. Uh, uh, first of all, for those of you uh, who may not be aware of my website, karis-expat, E-X-P-A-T dot com, every Thursday, uh, Diane writes a, uh, a food column uh, for me, talking about food from, uh, from the region, and culminating at the end of the month with a uh, the, uh, collection of those uh, columns into a recipe, into a, a menu, uh, with accompanying wines uh, selected by Eric. So it's a good way to get a, an early taste of what you will experience wh when you go there. And uh, Diane has already promised me, at least tacitly, that she's going to write that book, which we may call Chateau d'Amour, uh, Recipes from Chateau Lagos, uh, because uh, as you've heard, uh, she has a wonderful writing voice, um, and it's, uh, it's very warm and very welcoming, just as you, I'm sure you've discerned from this conversation, you, you will want to be there. Just as a final thought, so it's www.chateaulados, double S, because it's the, uh, we are in France. And, uh, but apart from uh, welcoming my group, and I think our next thing, hopefully, will be in, in, in September, you do uh, cooking classes, uh, quick weekends, uh, weddings. Talk a little bit about the gamut uh, and uh, obviously uh, Eric's uh, wine, wine school. Talk about some of the things that you do there that would be available for people. And I'm sure that all this information resides at, uh, at uh, chateaulados.com. Just a little correction on our website. Yes. Um, www.lados.com. Ah. L-A-D-A-U-S-S-E. Yes, we dropped the chateau in our website name. Oh. Um, so, yeah, lots of information there. It's, it's actually loaded with information. Um, well, you know, at the moment, because of COVID, uh, like most ho in the hospitality business, um, we've kind of been shuttered. Um, but during normal times, um, yeah, we do do cooking lessons, um, wine workshops. Uh, we, we, I'm still doing um, chef a domicile, so catering and private chef services when people want to have something at their own home. Um, uh, and besides that, uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure if I'm answering your questions here. No, no, absolutely, absolutely. And, and we want people to... Uh, to spend a little time uh, visiting you and, and reading uh, the uh, <coughs> the recipes that you've collected and get a real sense of uh, what's so so great about the area where you were or where you are. Anyway, I just want to say, uh, you know, as as a friend, I, I couldn't be more delighted to see uh, the success that you've created, uh, the joy and the warmth and the the welcome that you provide to me and my guests uh, whenever whenever we've been there. And I would just uh, stress again to people that are listening, uh, you can go online, you can find a beautiful chateau, we can have wonderful furnishings, as you would find at Chateau Lagos, but it doesn't have Diane and Eric. And I'm kind of reminded of what uh, Danny Meyer had said when he started the Union Square Cafe, that he didn't particularly look for people who had restaurant experience, he looked for kind people. I can teach a kind person how to serve a glass of wine, I can't, uh, and I won't use the words to describe the other kind of person, I can't, I can't teach them how to be a human being. And you certainly mastered all that, and you uh, are deserving of all the, uh, uh, all, all the uh, rewards that I hope will continue to come down the road when this nightmare is over. So uh, Eric and Diane Antonison, uh, is, is Skippy awake? Can we hear from Skippy? 
he's still sleeping on my lap. <laughs> okay. <laughs> very dumb. I would say uh, uh, that Diane and Erica just rescued a four-year-old uh, Bichon, uh, who is absolutely adorable. And when you come to the chateau, I'm sure he'll be delighted to take a walk with you. So once again, uh, Diane and Eric Antonison, Chateau Lados, always great to catch up. And I, I can't wait to our next visit. And if people are listening, I'm, we're hoping it's going to happen in September. And uh, paris-expat.com. Once again, thank you very much. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you, Darren. Great to talk to you. Thank you for joining us. And please share your comments and suggestions at terrence at paris-expat.com. That's T-E-R-R-A-N-C-E at paris-expat.com. And visit paris-expat.com to sign up for my five weekly newsletters about the City of Light. Until next time, à bientôt à Paris.